Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, and welcome once again to our online Sunday service. My name is Cal, and I'm thrilled that you've made the choice to join us, and thank you for allowing us into your home settings and and your church settings. Now, today, Dr. Michael Fass will be joining me for our speaking time. Michael, along with his wife, Eva, and their daughter, Emily, serve in the Philippines. Their son, Daniel, lives here in Saskatoon and is studying at the University of Saskatchewan. Now, almost exactly one year ago, Michael and Eva returned home, coming back here, for what was supposed to be a three-month home assignment. But because of COVID, they have been unable to return. And so they find themselves still here in Saskatoon. We have appreciated Michael's involvement with the Ebenezer family during this time, and we're praying that he and Eva will soon be able to return to the Philippines. This morning, we're continuing our series, Shift, and our focus will be on another aspect of who we are as a church that we've identified as a place where we need to shift. Now, the picture Pastor Layton has used to describe what has happened over this past year is the image of a, of a tide moving out and exposing the junk and garbage beneath the surface of the water out of view. Now, the, the junk has always been there, but when we carry on with life as usual, when we don't take the time to carefully examine things, and when we continue with our own preconceived ideas and expectations, we don't always see the garbage that's lurking underneath. However, with an event like COVID, the tide has been pulled back and it's revealed to us what has really been there all along. A COVID might be a once in a generation event, and I'm sure many of us are hoping we never have to go through something like this again. But COVID has also presented, in my opinion, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And we should unite together to see what is God doing through all of this. I know some of you are ready to embrace these shifts. Some of you are waiting to understand what the shifts are and and will decide later on whether or not you will embrace these shifts. And likely some of you watching just don't want things to change. Your hope is that soon we'll be able to return to things to the pre-COVID normal. Now, if you're in camp number two or three, let me just encourage you to continue to prayerfully track with us. Now, if you're new to Ebenezer or relatively new to Ebenezer, then I believe what God has laid on our hearts to teach and to share needs to be considered really by every Christian church. As we've been praying over the past months, our sense is that God is longing for His church to to shift and to return to the heart and practices of what He desires for His people. Will it be easy? Absolutely not. But is it necessary? I would say absolutely yes. Craig Greenfield wrote an article titled, From Stage to Table, Why We Urgently Need to Rethink Church in 2021. And he said this, Getting back to normal would be a big mistake. In fact, getting back to normal might just be the worst thing the church could do once this pandemic subsides. And he concludes his article by saying, But this is our chance for change. This is our chance to change. This is our chance to shift. Now last week, using Exodus 18 as a base, Pastors Layton and Kelly revealed that in our context, 
when the tide pulled back, it revealed that there was a deficiency in our connectedness and our ability to care for one another. Now, these are symptoms of the fact that in general, we need to grow in the area of truly living lives together. So moving forward, we plan to develop systems and train leaders that allow us to integrate our lives more wholly and more completely. Right now, each of us can start with the relationship we have and be intentional about doing what we can to integrate our lives with others. Now this morning, our attention will be on the Acts 6 passage. And here we will see the next area in which we need to shift. And it's the area of mission. Now I'm going to turn our time to Michael now and ask him to lead us through a, an opening section of Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Well, well, thanks, Cal. First, I want to thank you for inviting me to, uh, to, to join with you today in talking about the mission shift here at Ebenezer. I've been enjoying watching uh, the services uh, with my wife uh, over the past while. And I must admit, on the first, uh, the first Sunday for this series, I remember thinking to myself, man, those guys get to do some exciting stuff. So I'm glad to be able to join uh, in, uh, in, in, in understanding and reshaping mission. Uh, mission is sort of very near and dear to my heart. It's one of the things that I do all the time, and it's one of the things, or at least I try to, and it's one of the things that I teach all the time in trying to help, uh, help us transition and rethink our mission as a church is, 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 is a very close to my heart. So, so here we are. So uh, let's take a look at Acts uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Maybe a familiar passage to many. Um, I'll just read it, and then we can talk a bit about it. At that time, it says, as the number of disciples grew, uh, Greek-speaking Jews complained about the Hebrew-speaking Jews. The Greek-speaking Jews claimed that the widows among them were neglected every day when food and other assistance was distributed. The twelve apostles called all the disciples together and told them, it's not right for us to give up God's word in order to distribute food. So, brothers and sisters, choose seven men whom the people know are spiritually wise. We will put them in charge of this problem. However, we will devote ourselves to praying and to serving in ways that are related to the Word. The suggestion pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, who was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and they chose Philip, uh, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, who had uh, converted to Judaism in the city of Antioch. The disciples had these men stand in front of the, of the apostles who prayed and placed their hands on these seven men. So this is the story of, of a change that happened in the early church. You know, this is, this is one of the earliest stories that we have about the church um, and, 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 the, and, and some of the struggles that they, they, were, they were confronted with. And, and here we see, um, I guess, a, a couple, of, a couple of, of phrases that come out. We're not going to look in depth at every part of the passage, but we're just going to look at some of these, uh, uh, the issues that came up. And, and, and so there was an issue of, of unfair treatment of different ethnic groups within the church. And so the apostles said, it's not right for us to give up God's word in order to distribute food. And they also said, you know, we need to devote ourselves to praying and to serving in ways that are related to the word. Uh, meanwhile, there would be other people uh, who would be put in charge of these other problems. And, and this talks a little bit about a concept called mission drift. You know, the apostles had been uh, commissioned by Jesus to, to fulfill his purpose of, 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 of making disciples of all nations. And, uh, and they were focused on that. And, uh, and now as problems arise in the church, uh, you know, the, there's, there's an opportunity for their attention to be divided between two equally important uh, issues. 
but issues that would divide their time and, and, and make things more difficult for the church in the end. And, and ultimately it comes down to the fact that the early church needed more people to do what, what needed to be done to make sure that all the important goals were being fulfilled. Um, uh, and of course, you know, all communities have disruptions. You know, we're going through a disruption of COVID-19 and its related restrictions. Uh, but uh, there, are all, there are countless other disruptions that happen in the church over history. Um, this, this issue of, 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 uh, of distribution of food in the church and the other church wasn't a huge uh, disruption, but it was a serious one. Of course, later on in Acts, we read about even greater disruptions, you know, greater even than the COVID level that the church also survived, but it did cause them to shift. And, and I guess we need to note that this shift has in, in, impacted the church until today. You know, we even have groups of people in our church we call deacons, which is derived from this passage. Uh, so we still see some division of labor within the, within the, within the church today surrounding the issues of uh, what is, you know, we can quote, serving the word and serving tables. Uh, so there's this sort of this conflict between the two groups and there were too few workers uh, to work at it. And it was creating a mission drift away from the primary mission and towards internal problems. And so the solution allowed each part to remain focused on what was primary while solving the problem. And we can do this together because we have a shared identity in what is called the ministry of the word. And, and I think it's this shared identity and this, and this uh, um, that, that is a key to understanding the solution that the apostles came up with uh, way back when in, in the early days. So, so this morning, our focus in this shift series is a call to shift our thinking and practices as it relates to mission. The tide has pulled back, and the question being asked is, is mission at the center of who we are? What, what we do, and why we do it? Or, or have we kind of experienced this mission sh shift or mission drift, excuse me? Now, the first key point found uh, in the episode of the life of the early church was this potential for mission drift. So let me ask our audience watching, what do you think of when you think of the word or concept of mission or, or missions? Uh, maybe the Mission Impossible movies. Or is there some kind of military visual that comes into your mind? Or maybe you're thinking of the mission statement of an organization, a company, or, or even the church. These are all certainly examples of mission. But in a church context, what do you picture or consider to be mission or missions? There's a few things I believe we tend to think of when it comes to mission. First, as mentioned, I think we think of mission as a mission statement like the one we've adopted here at Ebenezer. Now, if you don't know it, our mission statement reads this way. Our mission is to point people to Jesus and help them know and follow him. Or second, when we consider mission, we think of missionaries, both missionaries abroad or missionaries closer to home. People like Michael, who is with us today, and his wife, Eva, or even those closer to home, perhaps serving in Saskatoon, like a Rod Alm or Sean Hermanson with Athletes in Action. Those that we might categorize as professional missionaries. Or third, in our personal context, when we think of the word mission or missions, we might think of outreach or evangelism, primarily restricted or limited to events like the older days when there were Billy Graham crusades, or evangelistic messages during a Sunday service or some other special meeting. We bring in guest speakers and music act or, or, or celebrities to give an evangelistic uh, meeting or even sharing the gospel message with, with someone we know. 
But is, is that really what mission means? And is that what mission really is? I'm going to ask Michael to continue on in our passage. Yeah, we, we looked at, you know, a few minutes ago at, at sort of what's the basic issues that were confronting the early church in Acts chapter 6. And now I guess we need to take some time looking at what the apostles exactly saw as their mission and how the new issues that arose would cause them to sort of drift away from that. Um, now, I'm going to talk about Greek words, and I, I usually don't like to do this because, uh, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it seems too deep, I guess. But in this case, I think it helps us understand a little bit of what we're reading when we look at, when we look at, uh, at, at the passage. And I guess the first we, word we need to look at is the word diakonia. And, of course, you know, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard this word deacon. And that's, you know, they're, they're related to one another. And it's, it's basically the word that means service or doing something, some kind of an action. Uh, that we use to, to express our faith. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes in this, in this Acts chapter 6 passage, we identify these two groups of people, the apostles and the deacons, and that's sort of been a traditional interpretation. Uh, but what is important to realize is that the word diakonia, or the word service, is used to describe what the apostles are doing and also what this new group of people is doing. So it's the same concept, the concept of ministry or service that's happening. And so they all have the same ministry, but they just have a different focus. And so what, what is that? In verse 4 we read, We will devote ourselves to praying and to serving in ways that are related to the Word. And then that comes to our second Greek word, and that's the word logos. And the logos is a, is, is a, is a complex word that means, it means word. It also means sort of idea. It can talk about reason and other things like that. But the apostles described their primary mission as the service of Logos, or the service of the Word. And typically, I guess, we identify the Word with the Bible. I mean, all of us have, uh, you know, I think on my, on my phone, I have, a, I have an app called the Bible app, you know, God's Word. And, uh, and, and this word as, as being the central part of our service. And I'm sure that if, you know, if Cal and I were to be here today and just, you know, talk off the top of our heads about some ideas, you guys would be disappointed because we need to connect what we're talking about with the word of God, uh, the written word of God. And, and that's an important part of what's going on. And I'm sure the apostles, uh, they weren't only involved in teaching the word, they were writing the word because that's, uh, they're the ones who ended up writing the New Testament. But in the Bible, this word logos is also used to, to refer to what we call the living word of God or Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, of course, most famously, we see this in the first verses of the book of John where it says the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus and the word are the same. And so I think we can, we can look at this in, in the context of what the apostles are doing that we're, we're, we're here to serve the word. And it's almost an idea of them spreading Jesus around. Uh, John Wilson in his blog, uh, you know, he does an analysis of the word logos, and he says, he says, the sense of this is the spreading and growing organically of Christ, who's the Word of God, as he is welcomed and becomes the life of those who hear and believe what he says, and he is manifested by his people. So really what the apostles were doing is they were... They, their focus was Jesus, one aspect of what Jesus was doing. Now, of course, we do read later on in the book of Acts about one of those, one of those newly chosen people named Stephen, 
And certainly he was preaching the Word of God just like the apostles were doing. So they all had the same ministry. It's just that they had a slightly different emphasis on each part. And I, and I think as we think about what it means to shift our mission, Word needs to be a part of that, but we need to expand that to move beyond, beyond merely the Bible and into who Jesus was and, and what Jesus is guiding us to do. So, so to just kind of summarize uh, Michael's teaching on the ministry of the Word as it relates to mission, uh, we could say that mission needs to be really our identity and it's not an activity. Uh, mission needs to be who we are, not necessarily what we do. And mission is for all of us, not just the so-called professionals. Now, I, I would suggest some new wording to, to try to express this and try to bring some clarity to, to, to what we're trying to say here. I, I would suggest that we can use the word missions to describe what we do. But missional is who we are and, and how we're called to live in the places that God has placed us. So, so doing missions needs to come from our identity and life as a missional people. Mission flows from being a missional people in our identity and purpose and living missionally wherever God places us. Reggie McNeil would put it this way. He says, missional is a way of living, not an affiliation or an activity. To think and to live missionally means seeing all of life as a way to be engaged with the mission of God in the world. So the shift we need to make is our view and practice of doing missions to being missional. And if we're going to make that shift, we actually have to start from the inside out. We need to form in us, both individually and collectively, a missional spirituality. So, what then is a missional spirituality? It's not an easy term to, to describe or to define, but here, here's how I would describe it. A missional spirituality is spiritual formation that leads us towards Christ-likeness so that we can embody and share the kingdom message of Jesus. It, it, it's, it's being spiritually formed by the practices and the disciplines of the Christian life through the power of the Holy Spirit, so we can engage fully, like Jesus, with the mission of God. Brad Briscoe says, God calls the church to be a sent community of people who no longer live for themselves, but instead live to participate with Him in His redemptive purpose. However, People will not have neither the passion nor the strength to live as a counter-cultural society for the sake of others if they are not transformed by the way of Jesus. If the church is to go and be, then we must make certain that we are a spirit-formed community that has the spiritual capacity to impact the lives of others. Now, I don't know if you remember, but in a past message, I said that too often we think of the church and mission as a come and see when Jesus actually calls us as his people to go and be. Roger Helen, our former BGC Alberta district minister, said that a missional spirituality is fundamental to discipleship. So Helen, in his book, Missional Spirituality, presents four theological foundations for this necessary formation. Now, we're not going to go into them in detail, but let me just share them with you and show how they guide our shift in thinking when it comes to mission. So first, Helen talks about the Trinity, or our triune God. And this speaks to the communal nature of God and how we, His church, are to be in community just as God is a community. Community then becomes so much more than a traditional small group. Community is where life is lived together. 
Pastor Kelly and Pastor Layton talked about that last week. Community is characterized by love and encouragement and care, as well as reconciliation and healing when there are hurts and conflicts. Community becomes both what we go into as mission, as well as what we draw others to. Jesus said himself that the world will know that you or we are his disciples by the love we have for one another. And community is where true love is lived and extended. So our shift in thinking needs to be beyond community as a weekly small group gathering or Bible study. Beyond community as an optional activity or event in our already busy schedules. And beyond community as something primarily to serve ourselves. Community forms around mission. It becomes a part of who we are. And it's lived for the sake of others that God calls us to in His mission. A Helen's second theological foundation is that of the Incarnation. I love how John 1 in the message expresses the Incarnation. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God incarnate moved into our neighborhood. And this foundation goes back to that expression that I just used. Instead of a come and see mentality, it needs to be a go and be. God calls us as a missional people to go into the world. Identify with others so that you can reveal Christ to them. Jesus said, in, uh, said to his disciples, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So I ask, what others say of our communities, if you've seen us, you've seen Jesus. We need to shift our thinking from mission being bringing someone to a church program or church event to missional being living examples of Jesus in the lives of others and living in their world. It calls us to engage with the culture that God places us in so that we can learn how to share Jesus on their terms and in their language, not ours. Third, the foundation of the priesthood of all believers. When Jesus died on the cross and the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it removed this perceived hierarchy between the clergy and the laity. We need to shift our thinking from the perception that missions and evangelism and outreach is the role of paid so-called professional staff or those we formally label as missionaries to the fact that we are all priests. Sometimes we use the phrase of pastors and missionaries that we are the ones that are called to ministry, when the truth is, we're all called to ministry. We're all called to mission. Through Christ and the Holy Spirit, we all have direct access to God, and we all mediate God uh, between the communities and God. We all are the mediators. Fourth is the foundation of the Jesus Creed, or Shema spirituality. Jesus quotes in Mark 12, 28 to 34, the Old Testament Shema found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And here we find the idea that we love God with our whole being from the inside out, and we need to love others in the same way. It also includes a concept then that there's really no separation between what we might label as the sacred and the secular. So in our thinking, we need to shift. We need to shift our thinking, believing that spiritual things happen in one part of our lives and less in another, or that spiritual things occur in a church building on Sundays or through other church programs and activities, and that secular things happen on Monday to Saturday. 
We need to see the entirety of our lives as being sacred, holy, and set apart. Alan Hirsch says, there can be no non-God area in our lives or in our culture. So, four theological foundations for a missional spirituality that guides us into understanding how we need to shift our thinking. I'm going to ask Michael if he can share with us now some of the ways that we can actually shift our actions. Well, thanks, Cal. Yeah, because it's important to have both, right? We can't just change the way we think. We have to change the way we act as well. And uh, so we'll talk a little bit about how we can shift our actions towards mission. And uh, I guess before I, I get into that, I, I guess I need to clarify that for me, uh, you know, I see sort of four key groups that we're all a part of. You know, we're all a part of four groups automatically in life. You know, we're, 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 we live in a certain community, whether it's a street we live on, whether it's a town we live in or a city we are. We live within a certain community, a physical community. Uh, maybe we're involved in the school. You know, you're a, a student in a school growing up from elementary until high school and then into college. And then after we're finished in school, we move into a work environment, whatever that might be. And, uh, and then we have this environment within which we play. And each of these is a, um, is a sort of a built-in community that each of us has, has. So how do we move into having a shared identity within those communities? You know, how do we move from being a stranger to becoming a friend? How do we move from being an outsider to being an insider? How do we move from being someone who's unknown to being someone who is fully known? And of course, that's life, right? I mean, how do you make friends and how do you influence people, uh, to quote a famous book? Uh, but, you know, an essential part of, of, be, of sharing identity is, is uh, something that's called uh, liminality or, you know, there's this ex shared experiences that bring us closer together with one another, it's sort of like a rite of passage almost. And, and it's, it's once we get into this, you know, once we've gone through this experience and we have this bond that we have, that's the deepest level of relationship. And this is where stuff really happens. You know, it moves beyond nodding to your neighbor as you drive off to work in the morning uh, to the point where you share lives and you, you know the ins and outs of their life and, and the problems and the struggles and you, you pray together with them and you weep together with them and you rejoice with them over the life that you share together. So how do we do that? You know, what are some ways to do that? And, um, you know, Jesus had to go through this process as well. And I mean, there's tons of stories about Jesus in the Bible. Uh, that's sort of what the Bible's all about, in case you didn't know. Um, but, you know, all of these experiences that he had, in the end, resulted in him being what Hebrews calls a high priest who identifies with us. You know, he'd shared in our experiences, he was tempted, he overcame temptation, he lived a life, he experienced grief and, and he experienced joy and all of the emotions we have. And, and it was this identification with humans that made him an insider. You know, so Jarius knew that when his daughter was sick, he needed to go to Jesus because Jesus could come through for him. The disciples knew that when their boat was sinking, they needed to call Jesus because they knew Jesus could come through for them. Uh, you know, they also knew that when they, they had a hard time casting out a demon that, well, let's get Jesus in here because he knows what to do. And even Martha, you know, when her brother Lazarus died, uh, Martha knew who to talk to and who to approach. And this is all because they had a shared identity with Jesus. So, so how do we do that? You know, how do we find what these rites of passage are? And I guess I'm thinking about, you know, 
the experience of my, of Eva and uh, my experience uh, moving to to Southeast Asia and trying to connect with people. And there's lots of stories I could tell. You know, I could tell the story of of uh, you know once after we because our time we have to return to Canada periodically. But once we go back to the Philippines, one, somebody said to us, oh, you came back. It's almost like they were surprised we were there, but that brought us deeper. I could tell the story of Eva, who spent 36 hours crammed in a small house with, with two other midwives and the family who lived there, and they slept on the floor, and they ate the food together, and they, and they shared their lives together, all while delivering a baby, and how those connections have lasted until even today. But maybe the best example I can, I can tell you about a rite of passage is the story of eating balut. I'm not sure if you know what balut is, but balut is, uh, Cal, Cal, do you, uh, Cal eats balut all the time, I guess. No one doesn't eat balut. But uh, um, balut is a, basically a fertilized duck egg that is uh, probably either 14 to 21 days into the, uh, into the process of forming a young bird and uh, it gets steamed and then you eat it. I'm not gonna show you a picture because you don't wanna see the picture. And, the reason, and, and, and that's one of the reasons why balut is eaten at night so that you, you don't see what you're eating. But I remember the day that I ate balut. Um, I was with a lot of friends, they were all pastors, we were at a pastor's conference, and one of, my, you know, one of my closest friends in the Philippines brought a big box of balut and he stuck it right down in front of me. And he said, we're gonna have balut tonight. And I'll tell you, my hands were shaking. You know, I was, I, I, when I talked, there was a quiver in my voice. I was trying to think, what, how am I going to, what am I going to do? This isn't going to work for me. Another one of the guys said, hey, here's a bottle of Coke because you need, you need something to uh, wash it down with. So here's a bottle of Coke for you. There was lots of friendly encouragement. And, and you know, once you crack that thing open and you eat it and it goes down, there was cheering and everybody was excited. And you know what? Cal, it wasn't as bad as, as I thought it would be. You know, maybe, maybe after this we should go out and get some balut. Now, I will tell you, I haven't had it again. And I will tell you that not all Filipinos eat balut, but it is an essential part of connecting with what it means to be a part of the culture. It's a, it's a rite of passage. Um, and so, uh, you know, so, so how does this connect with us? You know, we've seen what Jesus has done. We've seen some ways that we can connect into our communities. Um, so how does this work? Well, Jesus, you know, he calmed storms. And so people were, that, that was great uh, for them because he protected them from the storms. Um, you know, Jesus healed people from their sickness. Uh, Jesus also uh, freed people from demons. And Jesus uh, raised people from the dead. Now, here's the, here's the reality. And maybe this is a little bit of a shift in our thinking as well. If Jesus calmed the storms, so can we. Uh, I know many Filipino churches who, who get together during typhoon season and pray that the typhoons, the 20 typhoons that hit the Philippines each year, will not cause damage. And there are stories of the typhoons veering off and, uh, and saving their communities because of that. Jesus healed people who were sick, and, and you know, we can do that as well. We can pray for healing. I was with Pastor Lynn, and we visited a, a sick man, and the very first thing he said was, let's pray for this man. And so we laid hands on him and prayed for him. Jesus also freed people from unclean spirits. And uh, we're not going to talk a lot about that. I'm not sure that's how much, how much experience you guys have in Saskatoon with, uh, with casting out demons. But the unseen world is a reality in, in, in a part of everyday life in Asia. And so how do we interact with the unseen world is a, is a key part. And we do have the ability to do that. And Jesus, of course, raised the dead. Guess what? So can we.
it's unbelievable, but I have seen evidence and heard stories of people being raised from the dead in our day and age. And so that's how Jesus uh, uh, and us can be connected together. So what about me? What, what, what do I need to do? Well, there's a key question I need to ask myself each day. When I'm doing blank, and if you don't fill in the blank, what am I really doing? So, so what does that mean? For, for example, um, you know, we need to start with prayer and ask God, okay, God, uh, why do I live where I live? Why am I on this street? Why am I on this crescent or on this, in this community? Why do I live in this little town outside Saskatoon? Why am I here? Is it more than simply a place to protect me from the elements or is it going beyond that into a greater purpose? Why am I at my office? Why do I go to work at my job site? Why am I there? Why am I part of that company or that organization? What should I study when I go to school? Or what, what should I spend the rest of my life doing? Or, you know, why am I signing my daughter up for, for hockey? Or I guess I could sign my son up for hockey as well. Why do, I sign, why do we sign our kids up for hockey? And of course, there's always a reason. It's not bad to want our kids to, to be good hockey players or for us to study a good course in school or to have a great office experience or live in a great community. But what else is happening? Um, returning, I guess, to, to the, the, the four parts of missional spirituality that Cal talked about. You know, incarnationally, you know, how do I become an insider in this place, wherever it is? Um, thinking about sort of the concept of the Trinity and community and, and, and the idea that community is essential to this and we're all a part of a community, whatever it might be, whether it's your, your street or your, your school or your work or, or wherever you play. So what is that? The Jesus Creed. You know, this stuff doesn't have to happen inside of a church building. It can happen in your home. It can happen in your street. It can happen in your, in your office. And of course, the priesthood of all believers, hearing, you know, we, we've gone through the Hearing God seminar, right? And we've, we've learned that we need to listen to what God is saying to us, um, you know, and, and I'll let you in on a little secret and you may not want to hear this. Chances are, if you're thinking of a great ministry for the church to get involved in, that God is speaking to you and that's what he wants you to do in your involvement with the church. Um, and, uh, you know, so... So, you know, these are some important and key questions for us to ask as we, as we think about shifting mission through, in shifting our thoughts about mission and shifting our actions uh, that are missional. Well, thanks so much, Michael, and thank you for joining us this morning. I think your experiences as a cross-cultural, cross-continent and cross-border, uh, what we would call professional missionary, gives us a lot to consider that we can and we actually should parallel in whatever context God has placed each of us in. So to close, let me just try to summarize some of the first steps that we could all begin with right now, even in the midst of COVID. And some of the things that we as a church leadership are going to be doing in order to help equip and coach and guide uh, us as a church family in this. Uh, first, as Michael said, simply begin with prayer. But pray specifically that God will show you where he is already at work in your life and in your context, in your setting. Pray for the people that you see most every day, whether it's leaving the house or going to work or school or on the sports teams or dance clubs or whatever that you're a part of. Those who live in close proximity to you. Ask God to show you who might be open to the gospel. Second, begin to see your current life with your current activities and interactions as your mission field. We're not asking you to add more to your already busy schedule, but to take what you're already doing it but framing it in a missional context. 
So instead of looking at things just as things for themselves, just ask yourselves, how can God use me in this in a missional way? Pray and ask, like Michael suggested, God, what are you doing here? Third, form a smaller group, a church around mission. Again, it could be your physical neighborhood or your school or workplace or sports teams or whatever. Begin to do life together and begin to pray together about what mission God might have for you and your group. Begin to pray for people in those contexts, especially those that, that you have multiple intersection points with, and learn to hear God. And Michael mentioned our Hearing God seminar, and we're going to be offering that again later in the year, and this is a great opportunity for you to learn how to listen for the, to the voice of God. And I would suggest, I would even argue, that smaller communities of Christ followers formed around mission are stronger and closer than groups that are formed initially around common interests or even chemistry. Hugh Halter said, Church happens when a group of people decide to go on mission with God together. Now from the church leadership, we are working on ways to guide you on how to form this missional spirituality that I spoke about earlier. We want to help you form community around mission, what that looks like and what are the steps in doing that. And we want to equip you to engage your community, sharing Christ through your life, through words and through actions. And we want to train you so that when God shows you what he would have you do, you're ready to simply go for it. You don't need to wait for church leadership to tell you what to do or to create a program around whatever God has laid on your heart. And if you're already part of a small group, we want to help guide you on how you can shift your group to center around mission. Jim Henderson, a disillusioned pastor, and Matt Casper, his atheist friend, wrote the book Matt and Casper Go to Church. Henderson, again, he's the pastor, wanted to understand how non-believers saw church services and, and church life. So he recruited his friend, the atheist, Casper, and, and they went on an extensive tour of churches all across America. They went to churches of all denominations, of all sizes, rural and urban, in all kinds of different settings, as many churches with as wide a variety as they could. And at the end of the tour, Casper had this very simple question. Is this what Jesus told you guys to do? Referring to Christians. Is this what Jesus told you guys to do? And this is how Henderson described it. Casper simply could not imagine Jesus telling his followers that the most important thing they should be doing is holding church services. And yet, this was the only logical conclusion he was able to come to based on what he observed. In Casper's own words, if that's where they, non-believers, started, they would have to conclude that Jesus' number one priority was that Christians invest the very best of their energy and their money into putting on a huge church service, a killer show, as it were. Is that what Jesus told us to do? Or did he call us not to do church, but to be church, living wholly and solely for his mission? Do we need to shift? Let me just close us with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that you are indeed at work all around us. And during this time of COVID, when we have had uh, been unable or we've only been able to meet in a limited way, it is not the pause or the stalling of the church. In fact, you are still alive and active and your fingerprints are all around us. 
And so, Father, I pray that we, the church body, would simply seek you to understand what you're doing in us and through us. And, Father, we would fully engage in your redemptive purposes and your mission in the world. Father, wherever we might be, may we center our lives, our community, our church around the mission of God. And Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and give us the strength, the courage. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.